Indeed, Lord, let us seek you tonight. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified, that we would praise you as we read the word uh, that you have given us so that we might be the men and women of God you have created us to be. God the Son, we give you also glory because you spoke this sermon that we are going through right now, and you indeed uh, tell us how to be righteous. And God, not only that, Holy Spirit, you enable us to be righteous. You cause us to live according to you so that we can be those men and women you've created us to be. Remove from us the things that would distract us from hearing your word tonight. Forgive us, Lord, for our conscious sins so that we can be pleasing to you and glorify your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Both my boys play piano, which I love. And when they first started playing, they would play their song and their teacher would give them a little sticker. And this little sticker kind of encouraged them to do well and motivating them to play. But if you're going to grow into be someone that really can play piano, a little sticker on your music sheet isn't going to last very long. There's got to be some more motivation. If you're going to grow in your piano playing ability or your God-pleasing ability, you've got to find a better reason than stickers to play. I remember, actually, when it was that my boys first started, in, in my eyes, becoming piano lovers. They, they started to like to play the pianos. And once we were driving down the road and I was playing the piano guys, which if you don't know who the piano guys are, you got to go on YouTube and just hit piano guys. They, they are awesome. But I bought their, or their iTunes, uh, both their CDs now, and I was playing piano guys in the car one time, and I said to my boys, boys, are you okay that I'm playing classical music? Jaron said, Papa, we play the piano. <laughs> yes! My boys had learned to play the piano for the joy it gave them, and that gives me enormous joy. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus unpacking what it looks like for us to live a life that enjoys glorifying God, that enjoys and longs to live godly lives. Not because we get little stickers or we get brownie buttons, but because it pleases the Lord. And it is this kind of heart that only God can give us that enables us to live by Jesus's big idea of preaching. And I've said this many times, but the Sermon on the Mount is unpacking Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, which says, repent or change your mind, change how you're thinking about life for the kingdom of heaven. The power of the living God is as close as your fingertips. Now, one way of describing the kind of life that lives that exists in light of the power of God at our very fingertips is righteousness. Righteousness in general simply means living in a right relationship to God, living in such a way that you are pleasing Him. 
when we repent, when we turn away from our sin and turn towards the power of God available to us, we'll be living the kind of life that pleases God. And you can bet your bottom dollar that when we are living like that, He will be happy to please us. It's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But now, confusingly, righteousness is both a condition and it can be a description of actions. Here in Matthew 5, 6 that we just read and how I defined it above, righteousness is a condition. It is a relationship with our God that is established by grace through faith. And this kind of righteousness, this condition righteousness, is far greater than any acts righteousness or deeds righteousness. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 20, when he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, this condition, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, or merely living out an acts righteousness, Unless it exceeds them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, however, uses this idea that I'm calling acts righteousness or deeds righteousness, both positively and negatively. In our passage today, he uses it negatively. When we get to Matthew 6, 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness, or as the NIV says, your acts of righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. We're going to spend some time on that phrase tonight. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But Paul also uses this idea, he's not using the same words, when he says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, if we are going to have a condition of righteousness in our hearts, it's going to come out in how we act. Or, as I say, if we are going to be recognized as those who are righteous, then they are going to have to see some righteous acts that prove what we say we are. And that brings us to our main idea tonight. You and I need to live for an audience of one. We need to live for an audience of one. Before we can look at these righteous actions that Jesus is going to list three of them for us tonight, before we can look at them, we need to understand the heart of what Jesus is getting at when he uses these three examples. Fortunately for us, he sums the whole idea up in verse 1. As I read a moment ago, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, if you're reading this in the Bible, which I'm telling you, you need to be doing as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, hopefully you're continuing to read through the Sermon on the Mount. As you're doing this, you're going to notice that, wait a minute, Jesus just said something like this, and sure enough, he did in verse 16 of chapter 5. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your righteous acts shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, there's a relationship between these two seemingly contradictory ideas going on. And this relationship is summed up in one word, hypocrisy. Hypocrites, as we know, are rightly maligned, but it is not generally understood what a hypocrite really does. Like many words, hypocrites has lost its meaning and it's just become some insult that you send to somebody because you don't like them. So essentially, a hypocrite is someone who, catch this, pretends to believe something they don't really believe. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to believe something they don't really believe. The essence of hypocrisy is lying to self, to God, and or to others about your heart, about your motives, about what it is you're trying to accomplish in doing or not doing something. These verses that Jesus has here in Matthew 6 give a really good understanding of hypocrisy in action. And in them, the unifying false belief, the unifying idea that the hypocrites are pretending to have, is that they're saying, God is going to reward my righteous acts, my almsgiving, my giving money to the poor, or my prayer, or my fasting. Now Jesus, who can look into our hearts better than any of us can, knows that they are lying. Because what they really believe is that God's reward is not enough. Or that God really isn't going to reward me in this situation. So i got to get my own in whatever way I can. So I'm going to give money so other people can see me, or I'm going to pray so other people can see me, or I'm going to fast so that other people can say, what a great guy he is or she is. They want others to see them doing these righteous acts so that they will get some reward. Now, that's a tricky one, because there's a lot of different kinds of rewards that they could be after. So, I thought, you might be a hypocrite if when you confront somebody with their sin, you're belittling them in your heart. Remember several weeks ago we talked about that. It was the whole essence of condemnation. You might be a hypocrite if when you are confronted by your sin... You make excuses for it. How many times do you ever think, oh, it's okay that I do this this one time because I had a really hard day. Am I the only person who ever does that? Of course, you might be a hypocrite if you silence your opposition by appealing to derogatory stereotypes, lying, or scare tactics. Oops, I'm sorry. I started talking about Washington, D.C. Never mind. If, on the other hand... You believe Matthew 6, 1. You believe that it's true and that God will in fact come through for you, which is exactly what Hebrews eleven six is talking about. 
then when you are in fact doing something that demonstrates a righteous heart, Matthew 5.16 will be true for you and you won't be a hypocrite because you'll be doing your righteous acts in such a way that anybody who happens to see these righteous acts will instantly give glory to God and not to you. Of course, there is the other side of this question. I, I have to say this because it's, it's hugely important. You might not be a hypocrite when you are acting like you love someone so that you can grow in your ability to love someone. Sometimes we need to act our way into righteousness. And I don't think that's hypocrisy because what you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't have what I need. I need you to give it to me. And C.S. Lewis makes the best quote on this. He says, don't waste time bothering whether you quote unquote love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will find yourself disliking him less. Taking one more step to loving him as you should. In reality, far from being a hypocrite, when you start acting like you are obeying Christ's commands, you will find that you are participating in the only known cure for hypocrisy. And what is that? To live for an audience of one. To live because you have one person you want to convince, you want to receive his applause. Okay, so that's the principle. The principle is we're not hypocrites when we're living for an audience of one. And a hypocrite is someone who pretends to believe something they don't in fact believe. And that, by the way, is written on the other side of your notes if you want that quote. So let's look at the three examples Jesus gives for living for an audience of one. How do we go about living not as hypocrites, but as those who truly love our Lord Jesus? And we find that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And in these three very short verses, Jesus establishes a pattern that's going to continue all the way through verse 18. And this pattern is how you and I go about actually pleasing the Father. The first one is Jesus presumes, he assumes that you are going to be doing things like giving money to the poor, praying, and fasting. The second is he warns us not to do these things in such a way as to elicit the applause of men. Don't do it because men's applause is exactly that. It goes away. Number three, Jesus then gives us a sure fire guaranteed way of pleasing your Lord. And lastly, he promises a reward for doing our righteousness his way. Now, in this case, in the idea of giving money, 
Jesus presumes that we will give our time, our talent, and our treasures. You've heard me use those examples several times. And he presumes that we will give our time, our talents, and our treasures in such a way that we cannot be repaid by men. That is the goal. It's not that we don't help people who can help us too. We love the church. And Paul gives us commands to love primarily the brethren. That's in Galatians chapter 6. But Jesus, in his most forceful way, says it this way. And I think this is really what he's getting at. In Luke chapter 14, he says, When you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You will be a recipient of divine favor because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Giving in such a way that you're not interested in being paid back is the sure fire way of living for an audience of one. And the Bible recognizes there is almost no better way of demonstrating which audience we are living for than by giving your time, your talent, your treasures. Because Jesus will declare in just a few short breaths, we'll get here in a couple weeks, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, with regards to giving your time, your talent, your treasures, you might be a hypocrite if you use your giving as a lever to get someone to do something. Hmm, that happens in families a lot. At least, maybe that's just my family. You might be a hypocrite with regards to giving when you think that your giving ought to give you a lever to get someone to do something or give you something for you. Instead, as I've said, we need to give Use our giving to live for an audience of one. You and I want to live recognizably righteous so that people can see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. We want to live recognizably righteous both to ourselves and to those whose only view of Jesus may be us. And foundational to this is giving and prayer. And this is the example Jesus gives here in verse 5. Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and pray in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We are going to get to... Oh, we're going to get to the rest of praying next week. We'll do a standalone prayer, or excuse me, sermon on prayer. But tonight I want again to look at what is it What is the essence of what it is for us to pray and not be hypocrites? Jesus' fail-safe way of getting God's approval for our prayers is to do so in such a way that our objective is to be seen by Him. So, we have three pastors in the room right now. I would bet that most of you have seen me pray 
up to hundreds of times with up to hundreds of people. Am I a hypocrite? Is Pastor Rob or Pastor James hypocrites because we've prayed in front of many people? Well, here's the test. To the extent that our public prayers have been to inspire you to glorify God, to pray myself because I need to go before the throne of grace even when I'm standing in front of you, to inspire you to seek His favor, inspire you to worship the great God yourself, to that extent that my goal is to help you do this in my public prayers, then I would say that I'm pleasing to the Lord. I need prayer. You need prayer. We corporately need to be trained in prayer through example. But to the extent that my prayers have been to make you think well of me, to that extent I've already received my reward. And hey, Let's just get it all on the table. There have been plenty of times in the last 18 years that I have prayed to impress people. And you know, God forgive me, but I know that He does. I know that He does. And I also know that it's because of His work in me and through me that these other things, training us to glorify God, to pray yourselves, to seek His favor, these have also been true. So you may be a hypocrite if you only pray when you pray in front of others. That I was thinking about it, and that would be the biggest hypocrisy for someone like Pastor Rob, Pastor James, or I, if the only time we ever prayed was in front of others. Now, I happen to know those two men well enough to know that's not true. You may be a hypocrite if you pray in front of others in a completely different manner than when you pray for yourself. God help me. God save me. God do this for me. God do that for me. Well, if I'm doing that alone in my prayer times, I'm a hypocrite. You might be a hypocrite if your prayers at home never adore or thank God. Now catch this. For things that are beyond yourself. Praise God. Adore God. Thank God when He does something for someone else. Because as you're thinking along that way, you are thinking outside yourself and you are giving glory to God. In our prayers, in pub, whether in public or in private, we need to live for an audience of one. And Jesus gives us one final example here on how not to live as hypocrites. He says in verse 16, When you fast... Don't look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That means comb any hair that you might have. (laughs) Piece of cake. Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Ah, ooh, this is the tough one, isn't it? This is the one that not only pastors but lay people would rather just skim on by. I confess that I have not been a regular faster in years. There was a time when I did 
fasting is something that has so many pitfalls towards pride and self-righteousness and judging others. In other words, hypocrisy. That many just simply avoid it. But that's not the only reason why people avoid fasting. It's because it's so stinking hard. And to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, fasting is difficult and therefore left untried. We simply don't want to be inconvenienced. Tonight, again, my point is to clarify what Jesus means in this passage. The passage on fasting will be in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, and we'll talk more about that discipline then, and perhaps I will reacquaint myself with the hungry handmaiden of faith, as Piper calls fasting. But tonight, you and I might be a hypocrite in our fasting if we use our fasting to earn street cred with the people who are watching us. You might be a hypocrite when you fast, when you're using your fasting to impress God with your righteousness. (laughs) I was thinking about that. Really? You're going to try to impress God with your righteousness? Good luck with that. You might be a hypocrite if when you fast, you might be a hypocrite if when you're fasting, you're not actually fasting I'm sorry, I can't read. You might be a hypocrite if you believe that fasting could be an effective tool for you in your becoming righteous, but you don't do it. Now again, when we get to Matthew 9, 14 through 17, I'm going to have a lot to say about this because it's a hugely important topic. And uh, what I don't want you to hear from me tonight is that you all need to go out and start fasting. I actually firmly believe you should not fast until you've sat under the scriptural teaching and found out what it's all about. Again, we'll talk about that later. So in our passage tonight, we learn the exact same principle through three illustrations of common and effective good means of exercising this condition of righteousness so that we will become more like Jesus. And that principle boils down to this idea of you and I must live for an audience of one. Why should we live for an audience of one? Essentially, it's because we want to be rewarded by him. Because for whomever you play, you will be rewarded by that audience. So that begs a very important question. What does it look like to be rewarded by God? And the correct answer is, I don't really know. But the second correct answer is there are a few very important principles that we can learn from Scripture about what these rewards will look like. And the first one I give is the rewards God will give are completely grace. You will not earn a single reward in heaven. They are grace from beginning to end, and you and I can't deserve them. The second thing, the second principle we learn from Scripture is that the rewards God will give are also in line with or in accordance with whatever it was that we did that gets ultimately rewarded by God. 
You're not going to fast as the TV preachers might want you to believe so that you can get a brand new F-250. You're not going to, to pray in public so that you get some thing. That's not the reward that God gives. And the third principle we learn about the rewards from Scripture that God will give us is all of the rewards, their primary purpose is so that you and I can enjoy God better, that we can enjoy God more. That's what the rewards ultimately will do. Now, people who get doctorates talk about rewards being internal to an activity and external to an activity. What does that mean? If you play the piano because you want to get stickers on your book, that's fine when you're a child. But if you're 13 and 15 or you're 63 or 65, you're probably going to need more than that. This is because stickers for piano playing are a reward external. There's something that's outside of what piano playing is. They really aren't a part of the piano experience. But as my boys, sorry boys, I'm using you tonight. As my boys, one of them just played the Turkish march for his recital and the other played All of Me by the piano guys. He did an excellent rendition, by the way. Um, And you enjoy it. And you hear your 15-year-old just sitting down at the piano and playing. Yes. That is a reward internal to piano playing. It's something that you get by doing it. It's a natural extension of what it is you're doing. Now, if you give money because you want to impress people that you really have no responsibility to impress, then your motives are going to be external. And that is going to mean you're a hypocrite. Or, to use another term, you're a mercenary. If instead you and I give our money, we pray and fast because we want to please the one person that you ought most to want to please, no matter how many people see you practice your righteousness, you will not be a hypocrite. You are a Christian, a wise one at that, because you live for an audience of one. Lord Almighty, we come once again and we confess that we cannot do this on our own steam. Lord, it is only because you send your Holy Spirit to live in us and through us that we can hope to begin to live in this manner. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for myself that, God, you will enable us to live for you, for an audience of one, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.